Let's do this. What is virtualization? You're going to learn today. Innovate like a startup. Deliver like an enterprise. I hope you're coffeeed up and ready because it's going to be a great day. I know you're going to dig this. Oh, yeah. You're listening to the Virtually Speaking Podcast with Pedro Aero and John Nicholson. Good afternoon and welcome to the Virtually Speaking Podcast, episode number 212. My name is Pete Fletcher, a.k.a. Pedro Arrow, and joining me as usual is my good friend, Mr. John Nicholson. John, welcome back. It's uh, it's good to be back. It feels a little weird. I feel like I've been gone for weeks, but it's it's been a relatively short time. Yeah, for sure. I'm sure you can hear I'm a little congested. I've uh, I've been in the UK on vacation for a week. I didn't get COVID, but I definitely got a common cold. And uh, yeah, I was busy enjoying some uh, great music. Uh, I went to a concert. But yeah, you were a little busier than I was. You were actually uh, making another child and bringing another child into this world. So officially, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. It's uh, it's going to be a good month off, but I figured I could I could swing an hour of, uh, you know, diaper changing and and feeding times to to come visit the podcast. I appreciate that. I, I you know you said you make it sound like it's such a sacrifice when you know you're just escaping those those diaper changes and those those feedings. But uh, yeah, we're we're glad to have you, man. Especially on this episode, we're talking. Uh, you know, we all know we talk a lot about VMware Cloud on AWS and cloud in general. And I want to talk a little bit about cloud migrations and some considerations. And uh, and yeah, so we're bringing on a, a, one of the experts in this area. He comes from a, a company uh, that many of you may already be familiar with. Uh, it's a consulting company called House of Brick. Nick Walter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, guys, for having me. Yeah, Nick. Uh, so the first time I heard you, Nick, I actually heard you on an AWS podcast talking a little bit about a migration uh, with the Scottish government. And I found that to be a really interesting conversation. Uh, that was a little while back. Uh, I know since then you've done a ton of migrations to with VMware to VMware Cloud on AWS. So uh, I would love to pick your brain on that. But why don't you tell us a little bit, set the stage for us, like what exactly does House of Brick do and, uh, and why do we care? Absolutely. Um, we do a couple different things, uh, mostly focused around relational databases. That's really our background, a couple of decades of experience there, particularly Oracle and SQL Server. And what we've really been focused on in the last five years is two things. One, as you mentioned, you know, hot topic cloud. So cloud migrations, AWS, Azure, VMware Cloud, lots and lots of different uh, migration projects in that area. And, and they're not all the same. You know, people say cloud migration, that's the process of picking up your stuff and dropping it in the cloud. Uh, and sometimes that's all there is to it. But a lot of people do themselves a disservice by taking a uh, very simplistic approach to the problem end up spending a lot of money on software licensing or things like that, that they don't need to do. Uh, so what we help people do is really put a solid plan around those cloud migrations, especially with relational databases that are very expensive software, very expensive to license. Sometimes the rules are different in the cloud. Uh, if you don't take the time to plan well, we've seen people make you know six or seven figure mistakes. So yeah. that's kind of where we exist is no, why don't you bring us in first? We'll help you plan this really well, assess everything you need to do. Um, so that's kind of a, a one of the primary focuses. And the other one is cloud governance. Um, because a lot of people, as I said, it, find it very easy to get into trouble if they don't understand some arcane things about software licensing. We have some products that we sell that can help 
manage that, you know, for our customers, keep an eye on it, uh, alarm if things have gone wrong, you know, be proactive about preventing those kind of problems. Well, and, you know, my experience with House of Brick from the, the very first days was going to a VMworld session. You guys have been a speaker countless times at VMworld, as well as some other joint forums we do for DBAs. And if, if you have any questions about Oracle licensing or d database licensing in general, <laughs> I encourage you to go find the replay listeners, go find the replays, pause the podcast, go watch the replay, you know, bookmark that for future and then realize that this stuff is, you know, kind of complicated and go call them. I mean, I, I thought software licensing was weird when I was a VDI admin and dealing with the, the VDA license, whether the iPad was in the parking lot or the building and had a different license kind of thing. It has nothing on the like you say, the seven figure miss oops you can make, you know, with a database. So, you know, that said, talking about, you know, the the nature of these migrations, we can talk about the licensing, but thankfully this is not a licensing only podcast. Let's talk a bit about the application migration. So there's different approaches at different layers. And you know, you, we could do this at a vMotion layer, we can do this at an app layer, we can move to paths, we could containerize things if we want to be DevOps hipsters. What are you seeing people choose kind of and why? Can we dig into that? No, that's a super interesting question. Um, I, I think especially the latter part of your statement there about there's so many ways to do it, um, has induced some analysis paralysis in some of the clients that I've worked with, uh, you know, where you, you go in and, and we're starting to work with them and we're saying, let's plan out your cloud migration. Let's look at what you need to do. And they say, well, okay, so step one of our plan is rewrite all the apps from scratch to containers. <laughs> Step two is learn Kubernetes. Step three is, you know, you see people doing this and, I encourage a little bit of, you know, modernization where it makes sense. But honestly, I, I kind of encourage, and I know a lot of engineers are about to cringe, I kind of encourage lift and shift, the, the simplest possible way to the cloud. Because, and, and follow my reasoning here, I yep. love all these modernization ideas. I love containerizing everything. I love making sure you've got the right technologies to have smooth, low-cost, efficient, high-reliability, high-performance operations. These are all super important things to me. But if you're kind of trying to string out some legacy platform for four more years of operational service while you do that, you're just setting yourself up for some trouble. So where I've actually had a lot of success is kind of flipping the script and saying the right approach is lift and shift now. And if you're already in VMware, you know, there's some really, really easy things we can do to get you, you know, directly to the cloud with minimal fuss and muss. And then once you're there, you're going to go, but wait a minute, where's all these promised cloud benefits? Where's the flexibility? Where's the cost savings? Well, that's where part two comes in. Part two is where you say, okay, we got to the cloud. You know, the finance people are happy. We stopped paying for whatever the on-prem data center was um, or server closet or whatever you've got. Yeah. Uh, we're decommissioning hardware. We're getting away from hardware refresh cycles. Now we can start devoting development resources to modernizing some of our application stack. Uh, microservices is the word you always hear in this context. You know, could we refactor existing monolithic applications into microservices, take advantage of containerization, automatic scalability, things like this. So, I mean, talking about that journey, I guess, of getting to the cloud and that lift and shift, which I, I, I like that. I, I fully agree with your hypothesis here. One yeah. of the things talking to some customers recently that I, I had kind of forgotten about is when people think about their data center, not everybody bought a vBlock, not everyone bought a FlexPod. And so you often, you know, and I, I, you know, 
jokingly call out the CI block monstrosities, but the one good thing about them was your entire rack had a common skew and support refresh cycle. <laughs> sure. And the reality is most people today, they've got a storage array they bought a year ago because they were out of storage. They've got servers that are four years old. They've got switches that the networking team, depending on you know whether we fed them enough last week or either hungry for more ports or not, I don't know. Those guys are weird. And this, it's this, what they called was the bubble cost. And it's when you're trying to get to the cloud, you can, you know, if you move everything now, you just bought a bunch of assets that you're sweating down. Or, you know, maybe like you say, the co-location cost. Oh, we've got to we've got to re-sign this agreement. And, you know, I love my friends at Internap or somewhere, but, you know, they know that you already have a sunk cost there and they're going to try to squeeze you for a long commit. And so I guess that this leads to the lift and shift is great where it makes sense and you don't have a lot of assets that are wasted or you're not getting or you can get out quickly enough that you're not forced into another refresh on one of these uh this gantt chart of 14 things in the data center i guess at least cables don't have a refresh cycle um but the the other side of it it, it also is is when you're looking at that is sometimes it may make sense of well, there's this new project coming in and it's going to push my network ports or my storage or something. Maybe I'm going to land that first or I'm going to migrate some things first. Do you do you see like a segmented migration or do you see just people pull the ripcord and try to burn the way, throw a Molotov, roll a Molotov cocktail in the data center on the way out? The Yes, I see what you're talking about there. Um, the, the idea that instead of trying to just holistically migrate an entire data center, with 19 different application stacks maintained by 19 different teams and five different business divisions, all considered stakeholders. Yeah, that gets complicated. So sometimes people take the approach of, okay, new apps go cloud first, and maybe we migrate things onesie twosie, you know, as makes sense as the application team that handles that has bandwidth to address the issue. Um, I actually don't see a lot of great outcomes from that. And and let me frame that appropriately. Every company I've ever dealt with has that like 5 to 10% of their tech stack that I call the bottom feeders, the stuff right on the bottom. And that is the stuff, not that it's bad stuff, it's, it's working IT, but it's the stuff that there's what I call the fear factor around. You can't touch it. Maybe the tribal knowledge is gone. Maybe the team. Oh, this is the Novell platform. This is the HR platform that's running on Novell. Yeah. And <laughs> right. Example. Pull Bob out of retirement or or resuscitate yeah. Bob. He had a heart attack, and you know he's in the you know long gone. So right, exactly. And there, every company has some of these. And what what the onesie twosie approach does is let them put off dealing with it. And technical debt is like any other debt, it accrues interest. The longer you put off dealing with this stuff, the harder it is. I have come into customers before who said, hey, we're, we're 80% in the cloud. You know, yeah. got all of our mainline applications up there. It's just HR, like you said, or inventory management or, or some legacy piece of something. It's always on an ancient database, too, I feel like. It's it's running oh, yeah. some database that, like... Yeah, please don't update it. <laughs> yeah. It, right. Well, it, it's not SQL. It's not Oracle. Yeah. It's some ancient, weird database platform that got bought by a company that got bought by a company that got acquired by a company. Um, and there's, like, the entire support and engineering is, is Fred. Like you call and you might be four hours because Fred's you know on hold for four hours because Fred's busy. Um, are you seeing you know getting back to I guess I love that kind of 
that dead analogy. I also like the the toxic waste analogy. It's like having a can of oozing toxic waste sitting in the corner and we're all just pretending it doesn't exist. But yep. um, you guys do database migrations. You know, some of that of getting cloud ready is that getting on standardized platforms is that saying, hey, we're going to get off DB2 or we're going to get off of a mainframe or we're going to get off of um, some ancient, we've got some, you know, some Unix or Solaris that the processor architecture isn't one of the 12 I'm familiar with, you know? Sure. It, are those some of the projects you've seen have to get done or? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and, and honestly, standardization drives, uh, I'm not a huge fan. They, okay. they, I mean, I understand the benefits of standardizing across enterprise platforms, you know, wherever possible, but going back to our, our bottom feeders, our, our toxic waste, you know, you, if you've got things you're afraid to touch, how do you standardize them? Mm. Right. So, those are sometimes the, the tricky ones that we do get called in for and can help with. Um, had one just uh, nine months ago, um, HPUX, uh, older uh, system. I'm trying to remember the specific, like a Superdome or something. You know, good platform, great platform in its time. No, just, the, the Superdome was like 14 nines of availability, you know. Yeah, great platform. But they don't sell parts for this particular model anymore. And the customer was like, huh, is that a bad sign? Something uh, broke, we yeah. couldn't get replacement parts. Might be time to do something about this thing we've been afraid to touch for a decade. Um, and that's where you know we came in and said, oh boy, all right, you've got a lot of technical debt. Uh, it was Oracle-based application um, for a pretty major company and was running a key portion of their business on a very ancient version of Oracle. So we had to come in and say, okay, time to get this in the cloud let's move to a newer version of Oracle. So we have to solve the problems of moving to a newer version of Oracle. We had to help them port a bunch of operational jobs from HPUX to Linux. Luckily, that's not a huge jump. We're staying in the Unix family there. Um, you know, rebuild your test and dev, give you a new disaster recovery strategy, give you a new high availability strategy, test backup and restore. There's a lot of aspects. The, the phrase I use a lot is that data is gravity. I'm not the originator of that. I'm sure you've heard it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But these these big legacy databases sometimes are the anchors that are keeping you from, you know, moving big application segments up to the cloud. And I do advocate whenever possible, address the difficult ones first. If you can get the right mix of outside help and inside people getting trained and experienced and learning the cloud technologies you've chosen. And this is not a statement specific to any cloud. This is a very generic statement. Um, if you do the most difficult one first, it's like ripping off a Band-Aid. You will experience a short period of pain. And then after that, everything will seem like a relief. Yeah. <laughs> so on the data's gravity, one of the kind of questions I always have about database migrations is what happens when you're trying to people don't realize how interconnected modern enterprise apps sometimes are. You know, it's, I remember seeing this, this diagram, I think it was like healthcare, healthcare.gov that had to tap databases in like six different federal departments and things. And of course, yep. I'm sure one of them was on HPUX, but you, this is one of the questions is, you know, sometimes the latency, you know, you can't stretch that application easily without doing unnatural things. Um, <laughs> or you have things that, you know, operate on broadcast or something or multicast or something barbaric that doesn't exist in the cloud. Um, are you seeing it? 
people try to clean that up and have like a stage area where you build out some VMs, you clean it up to a modern Oracle or SQL local, and then you vMotion that out? Or do you see people try to cross that that WAN chasm, you know, the Grand Canyon of 50 milliseconds to my AWS region um, and replatform at the same time? The answer is yes and no. The the biggest problem, you, you described a very real problem and one I deal with every day, but you didn't describe the biggest aspect of that problem. The biggest aspect of that problem is that generally when I get involved in projects, clients don't know where 80% of those interdependencies are. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, VMware sells things, VRNI, to help you know trace all the connections. And there's a whole secondary market of, of vRealize has done gone after that challenge a couple of times. Try to, Absolutely. Uh, William, we did a podcast with him on that. But yeah, that's an interesting thing. As you're right, the customer doesn't even realize the dependency chains often. Right. What will happen, this this could be any one of my customers in the last two years. Here's how it always plays out. We go in, they say, okay, we're, we're evacuating data center A as a hypothetical. You know, these 30 applications backed by these 27 databases all needs to go. Great. Get the plan, do some proof of concepts, do the, all the analysis, do all the math. Everybody signs off on it, looks good. Move it. Data warehouse team calls up screaming. <laughs> what happened? Where'd our data feed go? Why is it stuttering? Why is it timing out? I uh, I did a presentation, I cannot remember at which conference, a few years back, where I listed what I considered the top five challenges of cloud migration. Number one was lack of planning. Two, networking. Three, networking. Four, networking. <laughs> and five, networking. And they were all actually different aspects of networking. Sure, but it's, okay, it's, okay, but, but, but it's to be great. fair, if we're going to blame networking, throughput is a networking problem. Latency is a physics problem um, more often than yep. not. But I mean, that's what it presents as a networking challenge. I, yeah. I'm not saying the networking people can solve that. They sure. can't. You're absolutely right. Application teams should know, and especially enterprise architecture teams who are often the chief culprit for not realizing how many of their systems talk to each other directly in a hard dependency way, not just in a, it'd be nice if this worked way. Sure. Um, and it's actually our standard assessments nowadays when we start a cloud migration project, that's what we start with looking at. Like, okay, what's your hardware? What's your sizing? You know, give me your CPU metrics, memory metrics, disk IO, IOPS latencies, things like this. We look at all that and then we say, okay, now we're going to go into, I'll use Oracle for an example. We're going to go into Oracle and we're going to look at all the configured database links and we're going to look at, uh, you know, the networking logs and see who's been connecting from where. Can you account for all of these IPs? No, because almost nobody says yes first time. Sure. Okay, let's have a wider discussion. What's really talking to what? Because that's the thing. The thing we don't know about is the thing that will break when we cloud migrate. Yeah, the, the, the concerns I've always heard when it comes to cloud migrations in general, they could probably all be summed up with networking, but like you said, very different, right? Security yeah. concerns. The right. Security concerns are real. Um, and, uh, you know, as, as is latency, can I connect to this imaginary cloud? You know, like, are we going to be able to be able to connect to this within the same and have the same performance? So, yeah, security is a big concern, I'm sure, as well as the latency. So what are some of the other concerns you hear from customers that are trying to migrate? The, the security concern, not just on networking, but in general, is it really weighs on people's minds. Um, and both out of general concern, you know, there's been so many issues of late with, uh, you know, ransomware and some very high sure. profile damage being done to companies' brands that it's on their minds, as well as, of course, getting security and compliance officers, 
you know, for larger shops that have dedicated departments to this kind of thing, um, getting those people to sign off when they don't know what a cloud is. Uh, that's, that's a definite challenge we've run into. A kind of project, and this is this really interested me, this kind of caught me by surprise. We've done three or four projects in the last year that were basically cloud DR projects, right? We're not evacuating our data center. We just need a copy of this stuff somewhere else, you know, for disaster recovery purposes. But it wasn't standard physical disaster recovery. They already had that. This was isolated network bubbled to this maximum degree possible ransomware recovery. Uh, Cloud environments that could only be fed like once a night, no binaries allowed in, just like the most recent backups from like prod databases or or maybe some configuration files um, when application configuration got pushed. And the whole point of this environment was if the data centers got infested with ransomware, not the whole business, but some key segments of the business could flip to this cloud environment and continue to operate. Yeah. Which I thought was a really interesting idea. Um, and that one, that kind of project has heavy security and networking considerations, compliance, governance. You know, you need to make sure that everything is as it should be. Everything is really firewalled off from the rest of the organization. Really interesting projects. I'm curious, when you say that, are you talking about something like, you know, I know um, VMware Cloud Disaster Recovery has like a pilot option where, you know, they you can actually have your data there, but you're not actually running it there. It, you know, you, you just have it configured. And then in the event that you do the disaster, it takes a couple of minutes or maybe even an hour or so to get everything spun up and synchronized. But in, in essence, you're up and running, but you're just not paying for the full data center cost that you would. Absolutely. Was, yes. Yeah, These okay. were very much kind of the, the pilot, pilot light, whatever you want to call it, kind sure. of deal environments where the key data is there. Application servers, at least one of each type, are up and running at all times because there's automatic ver- verification and validation happening yeah. on a daily basis that the you know system is still sane and workable. Um, but the, the idea is that if ransomware hit and suddenly it's emergency, pull the plug on everything in the data center you know, to stop the spread, Instead of being out of business for a couple weeks, like seems to happen to a lot of these companies that get very publicly um, damaged by ransomware, instead, you just unplug your main data center, shut everything down, devote a couple people to spinning up your cloud DR environment, connect some applications. And of course, you have to be ready for this. You have to have a run book. You have to have trained personnel. It's like anything else. You have to test it every once in a while. But the theory there being, yeah, within a few hours, your core business is back in business. So I know you've done a ton of different migrations, and the one I heard, which I found interesting, was the was the Scottish government. Is there anything, or even if it's similar to that environment, is there anything you can share in terms of some of the, the key takeaways that you had with that migration? Yeah, that was kind of a, a fun one. It wasn't uh, a huge one by volume. So we, we were working with the government of Scotland, and that's a, a specific department that I was dealing with, which is, I, I'm going to get this wrong, and they're going to be mad at me. Agricultural and Rural something. The acronym was A-R-E. Uh, nope, nope. I'm, I'm going to be in trouble. I'm going to get an angry call from some Scottish Let's people. Let's look it right up. Now. Let's look it up. <laughs> and when I worked with these folks, they were really dealing with some of these legacy things that they, they were kind of scared to touch, right? Um, the, the application stack was Oracle products top to bottom. Oracle databases, Oracle application servers, WebLogic, Oracle Application Express, 
uh, WebLogic clustering, this this whole gone all in on some Oracle yeah. technologies that you know by this point in time they were a little bit long in the tooth. It was it was older versions of stuff, and they really didn't have the will or the budget to sort of reinvent things. They wanted to, they wanted to refactor, they wanted to redevelop these applications, but it wasn't going to happen for years, and they knew that. So what they said was, well, we're we've managed to get this stuff virtualized. You know, it originally had started on dedicated physical server sort of installations in their data center, but they'd gotten it into VMware in their on-prem environment. Um, we're pretty happy with that and didn't want to try and really muck it about too much further. <laughs> so what I said to them was, you need to get this to the cloud. You really want to get better flexibility. They'd had some capacity problems with on-prem data centers. Sure. They were kind of worried about the health of this application uh, in the future, not currently. It was currently running well. And so they said, what if we went to VMware Cloud and AWS with this? Would that be nice and easy? And and that would all, was satisfying sort of two initiatives for them. One, like I said, get this stuff on a modern platform where they didn't have future capacity concerns, you know, and could could kind of rest easy that it was running well, buying them time to modernize it. And then part two was they kind of wanted it to talk to some other applications that that were in the design and development phase still, but were probably going to be coming up natively in an AWS environment. And they were concerned about what we talked about earlier, which is the whole latency problem. Um, you know, it never really works out well to have an application on premise talk to a database in the cloud or vice versa, just because there's a long distance link sure. in between and for especially for OLTP type traffic. We can't just the, wave our hand and say WAN acceleration, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's a vendor that will do that for you. They'll wave that hand and take your money and say it's going to be okay. So we said, you know what? VMware Cloud and AWS is the natural fit for this. And if we just take these VMs, don't have to do anything to them at all. Just need to configure the cloud environment. Uh, we used VMware HCX at the time. It was a couple years back. Uh, as it was so it was kind of new and cutting edge more so at the time as a great way to do LAN extension uh, across the stretched link between the on-prem data center, the on-prem vCenter and the cloud vCenter uh, so that we could move things without having to re-IP anything. We yeah. could just stream them up in the background and when the copy was complete, cut over. And, and then there were some additional resources that we looked at just protecting uh, in a DR fashion from on-prem to the cloud as well. And the neat thing about that project, because uh, like I said, it was smaller scale. I've done huge ones. This was, you know, a small handful of VMs. But what was neat about it is that from initiation to first VM running in the cloud was a few weeks. Hmm. We came in and said, okay, you know, you've already called your VMware rep. You've got your VMware cloud in AWS account configured. I'm going to walk you through the basics of configuring your first cluster uh, in your SDDC, and we're going to set up HCX, and I'm going to walk you through that. We're going to document this. You know, We're going to do it with your staff. There was a strong enablement portion of this. They really wanted to not be dependent on an outside sure, expert, sure. which is the, the way to do it. You know, Take advantage of outside experts to train your staff up on how to do this stuff, and then your staff can do it in the future. We did all of that, and... and and a few weeks later, yeah, the first VMs were coming online in the cloud, running fine, going through acceptance testing. Honestly, the biggest problem we had 
And I don't think anybody would have this now. But at the time, VMware HCX was such a newer product. It was revving uh, pretty quick at the time. And of course, being a cloud-based product, you know, you're just going to log in someday and find there's a new version. You didn't know it was there. (laughs) There it is. And that happened to us. We had done initial POC and it was good and it was fine and we liked it and we liked everything we were doing. And then we went in one day to do a batch of production migrations and it's like, welcome to the new HCX. Here, change your (laughs) setup. I'm like, what? Oh, no. And then we kind of got stuck because the new product was so new that they'd moved around some options and and the style that certain things were configured in. We ended up having to go through VMware support to find out like, okay, is this documented? Where's the new documentation? Um, We eventually got it sorted out, but it was amusing to me that our biggest technical challenge was just the product was gaining features too quickly. We we couldn't (laughs) keep up with it. So great outcomes. They were really happy about it. Um, We got to speak about that at VMworld in uh, 2019, Sorry, that pandemic-shaped hole in my mental calendar is, is hard to navigate around. Yes, 2019. <laughs> the, the last real VM world until now, I think they're starting to get back up to full size. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And HCX has definitely come a long way from then. And it obviously, uh, yeah, it's, it's in my opinion, from what I hear from a lot of folks, it's, uh, it's the game changer for a lot of migrations. Are you still using HCX for a lot of your migrations? Yeah, where it makes sense. Um, you know, we're, like I said, we're somewhat cloud agnostic. Um, there are a lot of advantages to VMware Cloud at AWS. So when that is the right fit for a customer, sure. it's absolutely the tool we're going to pull out. Every once in a while, depending on what they want to do, um, as I was speaking about earlier, sometimes it's not just cloud migration, it's cloud DR. Uh, yeah. Site recovery is a tool we use pretty extensively as well. I think our most recent VMware Cloud on AWS project was in the last six months, and that was more site recovery because that particular customer had wanted to let's start using the cloud as a DR platform, get comfortable, do some tests, switch over, switch back. Once we're sure that it runs production well, we'll do a final switch over and then create another cloud account somewhere else to be the new DR and start to decommission on-prem resources. So every once in a while, you see a cloud migration that um, almost looks like a DR implementation project at first just because someone's being very, very cautious or, or has doubts about network latency, overall performance, things like this. So they want kind of want to set everything up to dip a toe, try it, and then commit. No, I, I like that ability to test. And HCX, is, it's come so far along. And I, I love the ability to, to test together and migrate applications together. Um, just, you know long distance vmotioning and throwing things over one at the time. Like once you kick those off, it's like, when is this going to be done? I don't know. Well, you know, I want to be around. We, we want to have eyes on glass. This is an important app when, when the vmotion finishes. Well, I can't decide when it finishes. Like that was always a fun discussion with people on migrations. It was kind of a, yep. you were throwing the ball, ac- you were throwing the ball across the river, but you, it might show up an hour later. It might show up four hours later. <laughs> and this whole ability to, to test in a bubble, have a clean state, bring stuff up together and just avoid all these challenges. It's uh it's pretty handy. That last piece is so key The bring stuff up together. Um, you know, you really don't want to get into weird split state problems where, like you said, you've thrown the ball and the tiny app servers come up fast because they were small and copied quickly, but the database is still chugging along in the background. It's going to be six more hours before it's ready to come up in the cloud. 
and you get and the warehouse moved over, so you've got like this weird ping pong. Like I, I've I've seen an it was an airline who they were doing a migration between data centers, and they ended up using Golden Gate or something to solve the problem long term. But it, it ended up to where like they literally were playing ping pong across the WAN link six times <laughs> as part of an application because the load balancer was here, the middleware was there, the app was here, the oh, database yeah. was here, and it's anytime you you know it's fine if it's just some tiny queries but anytime you get a large flow or a backup job god forbid yeah the backups are here you know you <laughs> yeah um the, or the backup proxies here and then the data domain appliance is there you know it's all of this you, being able to as a group walk together and not have to play you know ping pong is uh, always good and it's, it's super key it really is um, I have seen so many of the pain and heartaches that my customers experience in cloud migrations come from stuff like like you just said, where they're smart enough to avoid application servers and database servers not being local to one another. They get that. That gets done right. But the load balancers that do the internet front end, you know, security won't sign off on a cloud load balancer. So the on-prem load balancer is it's taking traffic from the internet funneling it up to a cloud environment. The reply is coming down to a cloud environment to on-prem, back out through the load balancers, back out across the public internet. Mm -hmm. And they go, well, we moved it to the cloud and the latency got twice as bad. You know, my usual response is, after seeing that kind of architecture, only twice, you're lucky. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, I know. It sounds pretty good. So I love it. Well, Nick, I know we're running out of time. I did want to ask you one last question. Um, You do a lot of migrations. You do a lot of consulting for a lot of companies, uh, regardless of the cloud, regardless of the vendors. I'm curious what advice you have to customers that are considering to move to the cloud. Uh, What can they do to actually start that journey? Well, there's a lot to do there. And I... Okay, you asked me a question that I can give a 45-minute talk on, and that's not <laughs> hypothetical. I have. So let's let's boil this down just a little bit. Let's get this back down to a reasonable scale. If you're thinking about cloud migration, take a look at what you've got. Identify your difficult pieces. As I said earlier, your difficult pieces, you should be aware of them even if you're not going to tackle them first like I'd recommend. And then be a little bit wary about cloud lock-in issues. Um, you know, by all means, if you have tech staff that is really, really good at Azure, maybe from previous employment, or really, really good at AWS, or, or really, really good at GCP, okay, that becomes a natural target. But don't be afraid where it makes sense to embrace a multi-cloud approach. Sure. Uh, there's, there's a lot of power that can be had there. And take an honest look at your application estate and what needs modernization before you're going to get any real benefits from cloud scalability, flexibility, you know, the ability to flex up and down over time, these sorts of things. If you're realistic about those things, and then and then really ask yourself, why are you doing this? Um, and that's a fascinating question to ask anybody. And I ask all my customers, you know, they call me in and say, we want to go to the cloud. Here's our problems. I say, why do you want to go to the cloud? Um, a surprisingly popular answer is uh, the board said so. But yeah, yeah, you get that answer. But sometimes you, people say you know, it's cost savings. You know, we're, we're getting killed on leases for our colo facilities, hardware refresh cycles. Yeah. You know, um, some people say it's, it's tech driven. You know, we, we have hot new app coming online. We need to be able to rapidly expand it and scale it. Cloud's the place to be. So you can have financial reasons, political reasons, technical reasons, Balancing those and planning a migration with an eye towards gaining the benefits 
of, of the particular reason you have for doing a cloud migration and not trying to do everything at once is really key to getting a successful cloud migration where at the end of it, everybody from the C-level and executive suites down is happy with the outcomes. I like it. Well said. Yeah, that's the short version. Uh, the long version I know has been seen on several of your blogs, several several of your uh, your sessions at various conferences. And so I will definitely leave links to those in the show notes uh, of this podcast. But Nick, that was awesome, man. I appreciate you taking time to chat with us today. Always a good time. I, I welcome the opportunity to come back whenever. Awesome. Good stuff. All right. Well, that music tells me it's time to go. And so if you want to get in touch with us, send us an email at podcast at VMware.com. You can subscribe to us on your podcast app of choice by searching Virtually Speaking Podcast. You can catch this in all episodes at vspeakingpodcast.com. Again, a big thanks to Nick for joining us this week. Uh, we're back next time. But until then, bye for now.